Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Do you have got how have you brought Bibles? Hit your Bible. Okay, turn to the book of Luke. Chapter 14. Talking about encounters with God. I don't know just where you're at. God does. I know where some of the guys who I, uh, who I speak to at jail are at. Sat across the, the table from guys who've done a whole lot of stuff. Talk to murderers. Talk to a 21-year-old who is now away for life. He'll never see the light of day ever again. He made some choices. He made some choices. I was talking to a guy just the other day. He said, you know why I'm here? He said, because I got stopped without a seatbelt three times. Well, he says, and then I drove after my license was suspended and got caught and now I'm here for almost a year. I told my wife that story. She said, you better make sure you buckle up. But I also talked to a guy who said, you know what, I didn't do it. I said, dude, you all say that. He says, no, I really didn't do it. He said, I look enough like my brother. If my brother had to get caught, it would have been his third time, and he would have gone away for a long time. So I told the cops that I did it. I'm here for my brother. Choices. People ask me sometimes, they'll say, what's it like to talk to, you know, inmates? I'll say, you know what, you're one poor choice away from wearing orange and being behind bars. Talk to a guy, he's still in there. He says, uh, he says Chaplain, you need to know I'm a born-again Christian. So what are you doing here then? He said, I had a wife had a house, had a car, and two kids. He says, and I let drugs come back into my life. He says, and those drugs drove me to start knocking over some pharmacies, and uh, God put me here and got my attention. Choices. Something you don't maybe fully understand. Some of you do understand this. Some of you, as teenagers, you understand this real well. You're making life choices. There's not a time called teenage years where you can do whatever you want and it's not going to have an effect on the rest of your life. You get that juvie mentality where you go, okay, so once I get out of juvie... Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no clue. But you get out of juvie and you go, slate's wiped clean. They can't hold my juvenile record against me. And, and some of you live your teenage years that way. You think somehow it's going to get expunged once you turn 19 or 20. The path you're on, if you continue on the path you're on, where is it going to lead you in 10 years? Because you're choosing a path. You all saw it in middle school. Some of you are middle school now, where you're starting to see groups form. This group, they're the party group. 
This group, they're the geeks. This group, on geeks rule the world, by the way. And this group, they're the athletes. Maybe there's some mixture, but you see it. And, and people that were your friends when you were in elementary school, all of a sudden, you don't even recognize them because they're way over here someplace. And you chose this direction. You pass them in the hall. You hardly acknowledge each other. You think it's just something that's happened? No, you're all making life choices. In our text in Luke 14, there were some folks who were making some life choices. Jesus is, Jesus is sitting and having breaking bread on the Sabbath day. So probably after they went to the synagogue, goes to one of the chief Pharisees' homes, and Jesus is sitting at the table. Now, they don't know who he is. They don't understand who he is. But Jesus is sitting at the table. I don't know about you, but that would be a very cool afternoon. Having Jesus sitting at my table. Being able to ask him anything. Just just listening to him. And Jesus understands, God understands, because God didn't give us his revelation in a DVD. As cool as DVDs are, and I think the games guys did a good job up here, but that wasn't inspired or inspiring. But, but, it, was, but it was well done. It was well done. God gave us His revelation in a book. And you know what? we got a school system that in some ways is set up to make you hate reading. Do you know why you need to love reading? It's not so you can consume more Harry Potter or more Twilight. That's not the reason to love reading. The reason to love reading is because you can come to what God wants you to know and read it for yourself. We got a cheap taxi drive in Lima, Peru. Side, side note, don't take a cheap taxi drive in Lima, Peru. Don't do that. My friend who, was, who had lived in Lima for a year told me, I have no idea where we are, as the lights went out. We were on back streets, had no clue, and the taxi driver wouldn't talk to us after he took us. My friend who was sitting next to me unbuckled his knife, and we were waiting to see what, what was going to happen. Because we were not in a good place. He says... Uh, turns to my friend who was speaking Spanish. He says, hey, he said, what, uh, what are you guys doing here? He says in Spanish. I would translate for you, but I can't speak Spanish. It, and he says, we're here as Christians. Well, he starts to rail against the Catholic Church. He says, uh, we're not Catholic. Well, then he starts to rail against the Mormons. <laughs> we're not Mormons. And what are you? My friend turns back to me, he says, what are we? <laughs> I says, you tell them that we're people who believe that God's word is enough, and if you have God's word, that's all you need. When, the, when my friend translated in Spanish, the, the taxi driver turned around and looked at me. Says in Spanish, he says, how do I know that? I said, you tell him, as soon as we get back to the hotel... I'll give him a Bible in his language. Within five minutes, 
there were lights again. Obviously, we made it back. I don't know what would have happened, but we gave it to him, and he was thrilled. I don't know what choice he was going to make. I know the choice I made. Don't get in a cheap taxi drive in Lima again. That was a good choice to know not to do. But God's Word is where you encounter Him. It's what He wants us to know. And when Jesus is sitting at this table, God gives us story upon story upon story in here. True stories. This is one that He gave to these guys sitting around the table. Verse 14. Sorry, verse 16. Then said He unto them, A certain man had a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Certain man throws a feast. Let's people know weeks ahead of time, hey, RSVP this, come on, come on, man. We're just going to have a good time together, we're going to throw a huge feast. Okay, servants, now go and tell them it's time for the feast. How many of you like to eat? Somebody made an announcement last night about eating. And then they said, you can only have this much. And I thought, well, that's all you can eat. Once it's gone, that's, that's, it, that's it. That's all you can eat. But that's really funnier than that, but you're just tired. Um, <laughs> Jesus is saying, this guy is throwing a feast. And now he's sending the people out to bring them in. Now, the primary application of this passage, he's talking to Pharisees. This is about the nation of Israel. But I believe the secondary application is how we treat God's invitation to us. Verse 18, And they all with one consent began to make excuses. Ever have someone invite you to go someplace and you just didn't want to go? You had no real good reason not to go, just you didn't want to go with them. Was the relationship that you were saying no to, it wasn't the event, it was the relationship. Something about this great man and this feast had turned these guys off with one, it says they all at once begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I can't come. I just bought 20 acres. I got to go walk around my land. Got to go change the air in my tires, too. He didn't have to go. But he said, I have a possession. And I'm not going to let go of that possession and go just sit and do nothing at this feast. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold on to this possession. What possession do you love more than Jesus? What possession do you love more than God? There was a very revealing article years ago in a uh, British magazine. There was a guy who had his name legally changed. He would probably change it to something different today, but he had it legally changed. His name was Reverend PlayStation. Probably Reverend Xbox 360 now, but yet, Reverend PlayStation. The reporter went to his house. He says, I understand you've had your name legally changed to Reverend PlayStation. He says, yes, I have. He says, come with me. Took him through the house. 
went to his backyard. There was a, a shrine set up in his backyard with a television on the top, the PlayStation here, flowers all around it. He says, I worship my God PlayStation for six hours every day. I was doing the old Atari joystick, sorry. That's, that dates me a little bit. Yeah. That was one of the most honest individuals that I'd heard an article about. He acknowledged what was going on in his life. I love that more than anything else, so that is my idol. That is what I worship. It's my possession. Maybe for some of you, if you're from the backwoods, maybe it's a truck. You just can't wait to eat your first truck. Man, you're going to keep that thing. You're going to, man, oh, you got, you, you even got your gun rack already. You just haven't got the truck to put it in yet. Maybe for some of you, it is, it is clothing. Maybe it's jewelry. Maybe it is video games. Maybe it's, an, maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your iPod. Maybe it's the music on the iPod. What do you love? What do you desire to possess? A certain man gave a great feast, and a guy says, No. I want this possession. I want this more than that relationship. I want this. The second guy, he says, Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. He says, I've got some business going on. My business can't wait, and I've just bought these five yoke of oxen, so it's probably ten cows, and I've got to go plow my field with them. I've got to go do this and go do that. He was talking about the business of his life. Some of you have no life plan at all. You're just living life, and you're not quite old enough to grab a hold of it. But some of you, some of you are thinking about what comes next. High school's almost done. You're thinking about what comes next. Some of you are high, high eyes, and you are, you, you, you are just going, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing this, 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 and you're not going to get any of it done because you're doing too much. Some of you are high Ds, and you're going... It's my next step, and my next step, and my next step, and my next step. And, and you've got your whole life all planned out. Maybe you've got a different plan. Maybe your plan is just to party until you're 30 and then grow up. Maybe that's your default plan, you don't even know it. Because you've not made any others. Whatever your plan is, if you're a believer... And I know there's a lot of you who are believers here today. If you're a believer, have you ever gone to God and asked God, what do you want me to do? You know what he wants you to do? First and foremost, he wants you to come to his feast. He wants you to come into a deeper relationship with Kim. I so appreciated Kim's testimony. Kim's testimony, she was, she was being open and honest and saying, I didn't always have this strong relationship and I'm still growing and God's teaching me and I'm growing and God's teaching me. I've been saved 
since 1973. And I got to tell you, God's still teaching me. He continues to teach me. continues to have more to teach me. Constant. But if I take my plans, and I put all my plans together, and I go, okay, God, bless these plans, quick, because i got to get on with them. Rather than get on my face before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? I would know a whole lot better if I come to that feast. If I come into a deeper relationship with Him. The stories of the Bible are wonderful, but don't get content with saying, yeah, I know all the stories. Because some of you have grown up in church, unlike Kim. Some of you grown up in church, you know all the stories. You say, ah, the Bible's good for stories, but, you know, I know them all now. No, the Bible is all about coming into relationship with God. It is the living revelation of a living God who desires more than anything to have a relationship with you. Not because He needs it, but because of how much He loves you and how much He knows you need it. As a matter of fact, that relationship is the reason for that cross. It's the reason for the death of Christ to reconcile us to Him through Jesus Christ. We come into relationship with Him. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him. Him. I love having people come into my house. Love open the door and have people come into my house because I know they're coming into relationship. We're going to have a good conversation. I love landing here. I've talked to a bunch of you already because I know a bunch of you. I know a bunch of your parents. I, don't ask your parents any stories about me, please. But the, I love relationship. But the relationship that ought to matter more than any is coming to that feast and saying, okay, i got life plans i got stuff that I think I need to do, stuff I want to do. But if you live your life for what you want, you'll always have a fast food relationship with God rather than the feast. He's inviting to the feast. And then the third guy, he said, I have married a wife and therefore I can't come. I was sharing this in a prayer meeting Wednesday night, and one of the older fellows down at the end of the table goes, he was probably the only honest one. My wife won't let me come. The leaders are laughing. You kids don't understand. But the... What relationship is more important to you than God? Is it a boyfriend? Girlfriend? I'd get saved, but I don't know what my boyfriend would think. He'd probably break up with me. I'd get saved, but I don't know what the group that I hang out with would think of that. I'd have to get a whole new group of friends. Believe me when I tell you this. The relationships that seem so important to you right now will go away. The relationship with God never will. Maybe you come from a family that's kind of dysfunctional. Maybe you come from a family 
It's very dysfunctional. Let me say this with love in my heart, talking to inmates, talking to people in my church. Having been a youth pastor, children's missionary, had thousands of conversations. Here's what I've come to understand. You couldn't help being victimized. Because some of you have been victimized in dysfunctional homes or maybe dysfunctional places where you've allowed yourself to be. You've been victimized. Someone has done something to hurt you. Breaks my heart that that's happened to you. But here's what I know. The relationship with God through Jesus Christ can give you victory to not be a victim. Because that's a choice you're going to have to make at some point in your life. some point in your life, you're going to have to say, I, I can't just be a victim of that. I will not let that person have that kind of power over me to say, I'm a victim. God can give you great victory over whatever it is that's been done. He can. And he can give you, as Kim described, He can give you the strength in relationship with Him to say, I forgive you. Doesn't mean you have to trust them. Doesn't mean you put yourself in the same spot again. But you can say, I forgive you. Relationships, oftentimes more than anything else, we hold on to relationships. And God can be our all in all. He desires to show you that He can be everything that you need. That's why He invited these people to the feast. That's the illustration. It is God inviting us to the feast. And these three individuals gave specific excuses. But as you read on, it says... And they all with one consent began to make excuses. And then, so verse 21, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house became angry. Said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. You go find anyone who's hurting and you tell them to come to the feast. You tell those who have been broken by life's circumstances, who have nothing at all to give me, tell them to come to my feast that I might give them all that I have. We're all born broken. We're all born broken. We're all born in sin. And some of us might have been born in better circumstances than others. But we're all born broken. We're all born with the same basic need. We are sinners, beggars who have nothing to offer to God. But open hands. God gave us the gift of His Son to bring us back into relationship, to bring us into that relationship with Him. And he who gave his son up for us all, God's word says, how will he not with him 
also freely give us all things. Freely lay out this wonderful feast. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. I'm a servant of a God who is throwing a feast of relationship. And I am compelling you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm compelling you. I am urging you. Come to that table. Come to that table. It's not my invitation. It's His. Come. You who are broken and think you're not good enough, come. You who think you're too good, put that aside and come. Come. We are all broken. We all need relationship with Him. But as many as received Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, His payment for our sin, His burial, and then the victory of His resurrection, and then seen by over 500 people at one time and ascended into heaven, that wonderful gift of Him. As many as received Him, to them He gave the power, the right or the authority to be called children of God, even to them that believe on His name. Christian, God's inviting you to a, to a feast. Why are you just grabbing something off the table and running away? Why aren't you coming and saying, okay, if He can be my everything, then I'm going to just sit and eat. You say, don't say that, Trent. It's too close to lunchtime. If you're a believer, you need to go further. Not further, sometimes, youth leaders, just close your ears for a second. Sometimes youth leaders and pastors expect more out of you than they do themselves. It's true. Sometimes we expect you to have these transformational things and you just, all of a sudden it all comes together, you just go, 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 and oh, we stand behind and cheer you and, and let you go right past us. Truth is, most of your growth is going to happen the way my growth did. Looks a lot like this. Remember playing Mother May I? Just taking baby steps. Should have started it over here so I didn't stop here. But anyway. He gives the water of life freely to all who believe. Your growth is going to be baby step growth. Here's what I didn't understand when I was your age. I would come forward at a meeting. It's all going to be different, God. It's all going to be different. Man, from here on, I'm yours. And that would last for three weeks tops. Usually a week. I'm back to doing the same stuff. Discouraged. Just stay in that rut. Because I thought it all had to happen all at once. 
journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And that one step is saying, I want more, God. I want to enjoy this feast that he's talking about. I want to enjoy you more. I want to uh, take five minutes a day in the Word. Five minutes of prayer, five minutes in the Word. You do that every day. Be far better than taking it and going, okay, I'm going to pray all night. Falling asleep like I did when I was a student here, falling asleep on my knees and getting up at 3 o'clock and going, well, that didn't work. And don't, don't think of it in those terms. Draw near unto God, James says. Draw near unto God, and He will come to where you are. He will draw near to you. I love that. If you're not a believer, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, this weekend is the time to investigate that. This weekend is the time where He's tossed out this invitation to you saying, come to the feast. Think of the story of the little girl. She had set a plastic, a, a plastic necklace. She loved that necklace. Every night she'd go to bed with that necklace and, and her father loved her and he, he'd go and put her to bed and, and he'd say, Dear, why don't you give me that necklace? Why don't you just give me that necklace? No, Daddy, this is my necklace. Why don't you just give me that necklace? No, Daddy, I love this necklace. Okay. Next night, why don't you give me... No, Daddy, I love this necklace. Became a little game. Why don't you get, no, 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 it's my necklace. One night, she finally says, okay, Daddy, you can have my necklace. He reaches in his pocket, he pulls out a real necklace, sit here. What is it that you're holding on to and you think it is so precious and it's just cheap plastic? God's waiting to give you a reality of life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then he described the eternal life that he was offering. He said, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Come to the feast. If you're not saved, the first step is to understand that Jesus Christ died to pay for the sin that you are guilty of. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. Sinners before a holy God. I tell guys at the jail, I'll say, we think, we think that the balance of life is this, and this is religion. If I get more good than bad, I'm in. If I just do more good than I do bad, and I'll do the good later, but if I do more good than bad, he'll let me in. Problem is, how much does good weigh? How much does bad weigh? How much good outweighs bad? Every religion in the world does this. More good than bad, and you'll be okay. But there's absolutely no surety to that, to that measurement. There's, it's because that's not God's weight. That's man's weight. God's weight says this. I'm on this side, and you're over here. I'm holy, you're not. Move that scale. I'm perfect. Move that scale. Can't be done. Can't be done. But when Jesus 
God in human flesh came down, became a man, died on that cross, shed his blood to pay for our sins. When we accept that gift of forgiveness from a holy God, that he might be the just judge and the justifier, sent Christ down and he paid the price. And he brings that scale level. In the court of heaven, that's the way God judges us. Not by how good we are or how bad we are. He judges us by what we've done with Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, coming to the point of saying, I believe that Jesus died for me. That's your first step. But believer, you're here and you're, you're making some life choices. What's your life choice going to be? Hold on to what you want? Or are you going to let it go and say, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take that baby step towards drawing closer to you. Let's pray. Father, help these young people, help the leaders, help the staff, help me to remember that feast, to remember the relationship with you. Not to just go through the motions, but for those who are believers, Father, they might come to a greater understanding of you. Father, for the young lady who's not saved here, for the young man that's not saved here. Father, I would ask that you not give them peace this weekend until they take that step to accept your invitation to the feast through salvation. In the name of Jesus, amen.